Just a couple of things I'd like to share with you as we're getting our hearts ready to hear. First of all, I want to add my welcome to Pastor Darrell's. If you're a guest of ours, we particularly appreciate you being here today. Thankful for the Lord leading you to us. And uh, if you've never received a copy of the Case for Faith, they're out there on the table. Just grab one on your way out the door. That's just our way of saying thanks for being here. Also, there's a scripture passage, a verse from Hebrews chapter 11. We're up to verse 38. I love the fact that the ones that didn't see victory in this life are the ones that the writer of Hebrews says, the world was not worthy of them. We've been thinking a lot about worthiness this morning. We were in Revelation chapter 5 during Bible study, and we talked about the one that is worthy to open the scroll, and worthiness is something that we would all long for, but it comes to those who are willing to give everything for the cause of Christ. So take one of those, pass it down, think about where you are in your service to the Lord. We saw the trailer about War Room. It opens on August 28th, and on that, night, that Friday night, there will be 100 of us who will be going to that, to that film. If uh, you would like to reserve one of those tickets, you should be getting information in the next few days about how you can do that. If you'd like to invite friends, if uh, we've been promised by the folks at Ronnie's, if we need more than 100, they will give us more. Um, I don't know all the details about the prices and stuff, but you'll be hearing about that in the next uh, couple of days. That's August the 28th at Ronnie's Theater, and the tickets will be available through, through the church office. Rick Prokaski is our deacon that's responsible for handling that. The last thing I want to mention to you is related to prayer are our Bless My Teacher uh, prayer commitments. We're asking for every teacher at the junior high to have a prayer partner one of the members of our church family partnering with a teacher. Now, you understand this is a one-sided partnership in some ways. You'll send a note to that teacher saying, I just want you to know me praying for you every day. Every day that you're in school, a prayer will go up for you, and they may never write you back. That's okay. That's not why we do it. It's not some kind of backhanded marketing scheme to get people into the sanctuary. It's not about trying to promote ourselves. It's about lifting up our teachers and their students in our prayers. And so we invite you to take one of these or two if you would like. The junior high is a large campus with a lot of faculty and staff. And so if you would like to pray for two, you can do that as well. Inside this envelope, there are also some greeting cards if you would like to use those. It's just a little prayer reminder to your teacher. You can do that. If not, you can return them to the office and just uh, use other means or whatever you feel led to do. But that will be going on um, beginning as soon as school starts in just a few days. Now, you don't have to admit this to me, okay? Aren't you glad we're in this setting where I'm not looking you in the eye asking you this question? But uh, have you ever had a secret wish that you were invincible? That you could be a superhero? You know, remember when you were a kid and you would dream at night about jumping off the roof of the house and you could just fly and what that felt like? Or you had massive power. Maybe, maybe your friends call you Wonder Woman or, 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 or Captain Marvel or something like that, you know, because you are so, uh, so busy and work so hard and seem to accomplish so many things. And you look at yourself in the mirror and go, I am nothing like Captain Marvel or Wonder Woman or Superman or I'm just me. We live in a world in a time when we are so powerless. We feel so 
powerless in our world today. We are, we are marketed to around every corner. We have the government that is dictating more and more and more of our lives. My second son and our daughter-in-law, who have two developmentally disabled children, are literally at times terrified when they hear about one more piece of legislation going across the halls of Congress that basically state that children in this country do not belong to their parents. They belong to the government. And if the government feels the children are not being cared for, they can walk into your home, take your children from you, and put them where they'll be properly cared for. And my children, my children are terrified for our grandchildren. Don't you sometimes think, well, if I just had the power, this is what I would do. If I could just be in charge for one hour, if I could just be invincible. Well, if you ever felt that way, today's message is for you. You see, we've been walking kind of across the top of the book of Revelation. Not because we don't want to look more deeply, but because that's there's not time. We don't have two years um, right now to look in Revelation. But we wanted to look at some of these major themes. And we started with this vision of Jesus in chapter 1. Then in chapters 2 and 3, we had the letters to the churches. And then in chapter 4, which we talked about in Bible study last week, and chapter 5 that we talked about this morning in Bible study across all of our classes from youth through adults, we looked at, Re- at Revelation chapter 5 and this idea of a scroll that's in God's hand, a scroll that represents God's righteous judgment on sin. And they're looking for someone who can open that scroll, and there is no one. No one, because in order to be able to be the agent of God to transact this action of punishment against sin, the person must be sinless, or else the judgment would fall on him or herself. And John weeps, and suddenly one of the elders goes over and says, Stop, don't weep, look, the lion of the tribe of Judah, of the root of David, he is the one that is worthy and John looks and there is a lamb as it had been slain and it stands in the midst of the throne and all of creation falls before him in worship and adoration. And I asked my Bible study group, and maybe you were asked in your Bible study group, how do we worship Jesus? We're good at worshiping God the Father, but do we worship Jesus? This buddy, this friend, this cosmic bellhop that will come to our aid whenever we need him, this humble man of Galilee, do we truly worship him? And then in chapter 6, the scroll begins to be opened. The seals are broken, and with each seal, there is judgment that comes. Death and punishment is meted out. And all of a sudden, we come to chapter 7, which is where we are this morning, in this hour. And in chapter 7, there's a break in the action. And John begins this chapter by saying, after this I saw. And I want to make sure you understand that I believe that the after this doesn't necessarily mean after the things that had happened, but after I saw that, I also saw this also going on. Kind of one of those meanwhile back at the ranch kind of moments. I'll give you an example from another place in Scripture. You remember in Genesis chapters 1 and 2? In Genesis chapter 1, we have the story of creation. And then God rests. And then we go to chapter 2, and we go back, and God gives us more details about the creation of humanity, about Adam and Eve in the garden. And so chapter 1 gives us an overview. Chapter 2 says, let's give you some more of this going on. And so we're at this point, at the end of chapter 6, if you've got your Bible open, 
It says in verse 15 of chapter 6, Then the kings of the earth, the nobles, the military commanders, the rich, the powerful, every slave and free person hid in the caves and among the rocks of the mountains. And they said to the mountains and to the rocks, Fall on us, hide us from the face of the one seated on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb, because the great day of their wrath has come. And who is able to stand? And if you were a member of one of these churches that is reading this letter for the very first time, you're probably thinking, well, what about us? What about us? And so John says, wait, hold on just a minute, because I also saw four angels standing at the four corners of the earth, restraining the four winds of the earth so that no wind could blow on the earth or on the sea or on any tree. And then I saw another angel who had the seal of the living God rise up from the east. He cried out in a loud voice to the four angels who were empowered to harm the earth and the sea. Don't harm the earth or the sea or the trees until we seal the servants of our God on their foreheads. And now the good news starts. Because God says, listen to those of you who have put your trust in me. You don't have to worry about these judgments because they're not going to befall you. We learn two powerful things right here in these first three verses. First of all, we realize that God is absolutely sovereign over every force in all of creation. God is in control. Nothing catches God by surprise. Nothing happens while his back is turned. Nothing leaves him flummoxed. Nothing catches him by surprise. These four angels, we have this thing that you've heard me refer to in the, before in other messages. It's called the divine passive, where it says, he said to the four angels who were empowered to harm the earth. And the question is, empowered by whom? Well, of course, empowered by Almighty God. And so we recognize at the very beginning that all of these things that are happening in Revelation chapter 6, and then you're going to pick back up again in Revelation chapter 8 with the trumpets and then the bowls of God's wrath, all of these things are absolutely and completely under God's control. Nothing is not under His watch care and His sovereign providence. And at the same time, we learn that He loves and cares and protects His own. He will stop the process of the destruction and punishment of the wicked to make sure. He will stop the death angel from flying over Egypt to make sure that his children have put the blood on the doorpost so the death angel will not bring death. He will stop the process of his action in order to make sure that his sons and his daughters are safe. Beloved, you are invincible. Nothing can touch you without God allowing it to happen. None of his judgment is going to affect you and hurt you. Now, that doesn't mean that evil forces can't come on you. We're going to look at a classic example of that tonight in Philippians chapter 1. So come back if you want to hear a case study about this very thing. But God says in this passage to us, listen. You may feel like you are a victim. You may feel like you're being abused. You may feel like that everybody from your boss to the government to, 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 to the schools to your neighbors, that everyone is against you and pushing against you. But let me tell you something. You have the mark of God on you. And nothing can touch you unless your Heavenly Father does it for your good and for His glory. Now, do we always understand why it happens? Of course we don't. I'm not sure I would want to know why all these things happen. I think at the time I would. But it doesn't matter because God says, I'm in charge 
and I love you, and I've sealed you, you belong to me. And I heard the number of those who were sealed, it says in verse 4. 144,000 sealed from every tribe of the Israelites. And then in verses 5 through 8, he lists the 12 tribes, 12,000 from each one. What a wonderful number that expresses the idea of absolute completion. 12 times 12 times 1,000. 12, the number of completion. Three representing spirit, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the spiritual things. Four representing the earth, the four corners. Three times four is 12. 12 times 12, completion times completion, absolute wholeness. Every single person that God has brought into his family through faith in Jesus Christ is part of this. Now, I know there are some people who will believe that these are literally 12,000. Oh, we've got 11,997. Where did Bill and his wife and son go? Get on over here. I'm not making fun of that. Don't get me wrong. But they believe it is a literal 12,000 from the 12 tribes of Israel. I prefer, personally, from my study of Scripture, to believe that this is a number, and these 144,000, 12 times 12 times 1,000, representing all of God's people, all of 12 representing the Old Testament and the 12 tribes, 12 representing the 12 apostles and all the New Testament believers multiplied together times a thousand. The number that in John's day was our equivalent of a zillion. Some of you in here are old enough to remember a line that you may have not thought about in 30 years. When I was a boy, my mother was the first one to teach me, son, if you can count it, it's not a million. Have you ever heard that line? How much is a million? If you can count it, it's not a million. In other words, million was that number that represented something that was more than you could ever count. Well, then I went to school, and I realized, well, a million is only a thousand thousand. What's the big deal about that? And I've realized for the first time that a number can have a, a real meaning to it, and also can have a metaphorical meaning. And in John's day, a thousand was a vast number, a number that you could never actually see at one time and realize how many is there it was a huge number and so to have 12 times 12 times a thousand means all of God's people sealed for him and for his glory it's interesting it says in verse 4 I heard the number and then in verse 9 he says and then I looked so I heard there was going to be this number, this 144,000. So I turned and I looked, John says, and what does he see? A vast multitude from every nation, tribe, people, and language, which no one could number, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. Beloved, this is every believer in Christ, everyone that has ever put their trust in the Messiah, standing before God's throne is one. Don't you ever think that we are outnumbered? Don't you ever think that we are on the tail end of things. There are multiplied numbers beyond counting of us that have put our trust in Jesus Christ. And yes, we may be the minority now. Yes, we may be outnumbered in certain settings. Yes, we may, because of our humility and our love and our service to God and to his world, be placed in positions where we are seen as being belittled. But we are part of this vast army of God. If you remember the book of Numbers, this is the kind of thing you saw when they were numbering for army, for war. The Israelites had been led out of Egypt. 
They were now free, but they were in the wilderness. And they had wandered in the wilderness, waiting for the day they would be able to arrive home. And in Numbers chapter 1, Moses begins to count the army. And he numbers them tribe by tribe by tribe by tribe by tribe. I think that's exactly what the Holy Spirit is doing through John, because John remembers that. He says, this is an army getting ready to march out to battle. Listen, did you realize that in the military... There are majors and lieutenant colonels and high-ranking officers that basically are gophers for the highest level of leadership in the military. They pour the coffee for the four-star generals, and yet they're lieutenant colonels. Listen to me. Don't you ever think that because you take care of the children in Sunday school or because you take care of cleaning up the kitchen after Wednesday night meal or because you set up the chairs and the beacon for worship service that somehow or another you are not important. You are part of the army of God. And he values you, and he has counted you, and he has put his seal on you. And nothing and no one can touch you unless your commander-in-chief wills it. And it will be for his glory and for your good. And these people, a vast number, which no one could number, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, robed in white, representing the purity of their faith and the salvation that they have received, with palm branches in their hands, reminding us of Jesus' entry into Jerusalem, and even further back to the Festival of Booths, when they waved palm branches to thank God for His provision for them and supplying their needs while they were in the wilderness And they cried out in a loud voice, it says in verse 10, salvation belongs to our God who is seated on the throne and to the Lamb. These people had no problem thinking they deserved any of this. They knew it was not theirs. They knew salvation had nothing to do with them. They knew it was not something they had done to deserve it. They said salvation belongs to you, God. It is your salvation that you have granted us out of your will and your love. Salvation belongs to our God who is seated on the throne and to the Lamb. Don't ever get yourself tricked into thinking that somehow or another God loves you a little bit more than he loved the guy down the road, and that's why you're a Christian and he's not. Listen, it had nothing to do with you. It had to do with his love. And he said, anyone who comes to me I will not cast out. And no matter how wicked we are, no matter how far we've fallen from him, no matter how sinful our hearts are, when we repent, turn from our sin, we go and we stand before him. Now, if you're not a believer here today, you may be thinking quickly enough to say, wait, 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 just a minute. Back at the end of chapter 6, it says, who is able to stand before this lamb? And yet in verse 11, or verse 10, it says there's this great multitude standing before the throne. How were they able to do that? I thought it said no one could stand before him. No one would be worthy. Well, let me just show you. We find out when we get down here a little bit further. The angels stood around the throne and the elders and the four living creatures, and they fell down before the throne and worshiped God and said, so be it, amen, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and strength. Be to our God forever and ever, amen. And then one of the elders asked me this wonderful rhetorical question, who are these people robed in white and where did they come from? So if you're not a believer, you're saying, yeah, that's my question. Who are these people? How did they get there? What is the deal with them? John is smart enough not to try to answer the question in his own wisdom. He's smart enough not to try to figure it out for himself. And so he says, sir, you know. Why don't you tell me? And then he told me 
These are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. They washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. That doesn't mean literally that they took their white robes and dipped them in a pool of Jesus' blood. It means that Jesus' blood that was shed on the cross for our sins cleansed them of their sin, made them holy, made them acceptable to God, made them worthy to stand in God's presence. And if you are here today and you have never surrendered your life to Jesus Christ because you thought you were going to have to give up this or that or the other, I'm not sure I really want to give up that. I kind of like my particular thing that I do. I'm not sure I want to give it up. Let me tell you something. It is worth your eternity to put your trust in Jesus Christ. Now, I don't say this very often because I'm not one of these kinds of preachers most of the time, but I've got to be honest. I've got to be truthful to you. This same humble carpenter Jesus, walking down the road, breaking up flows and fishes, feeding people, loving children, putting his hand on their heads, raising widows' sons back to life. This wonderful, humble Jesus that humbles himself and dies on a cross is also the conquering lamb who will bring judgment on those who have rebelled against him. It is coming. It is coming, and it is sure. And so, I don't want to encourage you in your sin if you're not yet a believer. I want to discourage you. And I want to help you understand that the key to you being one of these standing before God's throne, thanking Him for the salvation that He has given you through Christ, is to receive that gift of salvation today. These are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. See, this is why I believe that this group in verses 9 to 17 is the same group that we see in verses 1 to 8. Some people believe it's two separate groups. And again, you know what? Sometimes we just have to say, we're not sure. You have this opinion, I have this opinion, because the thing that this passage teaches me is that if I have been sealed by the Holy Spirit as one of God's children, I don't have to be afraid of what happens in Washington or on Wall Street or in the courthouse or in the schoolhouse. I know that God is in control, and I can do whatever He commands me to do without fear because I have been sealed and am protected by him. Let me just show you how protected you are. Look at those last three verses. He says, this reason they are before the throne of God. They serve him day and night. And the one seated on the throne will shelter them. Some of you have another translation that probably is better than this word in the Holman, shelter. That's a good word, but, but I love the word. It says he will spread his tent over them. We're out there in the cold and in the dark and in the shivering night of our sin and he comes to us and he places his tent over us and shelters us when we put our trust in Jesus Christ and John is saying to these to whom he is writing this letter I know that sometimes you're shunned in the market I know that you're shoved out of the way at the community well sometimes your children go hungry sometimes they go thirsty sometimes they don't have clothes to wear sometimes you have to stand all day and go to the well in the heat of the day instead of in the morning when the other women go sometimes you have to go out to the market after it's closed in the evening and pick up from the dirt the bits of wheat or corn and so that you can have something to feed your family but let me tell you when you stand before him you will never hunger again you will never thirst again the sun will never strike you by day nor will you ever feel its heat And then one of the most beautiful ironies in all the book of Revelation is right there in verse 17 when he says, for the lamb who is at the center of the throne will shepherd 
them. Wow, whoa, 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 whoa. Suddenly the lamb, the meekest, the weakest, the least strong, the least able to help himself, the victim becomes the shepherd. And the lamb now shepherds the people, guiding them to the water of life, guiding them to the things that they were not able to have while they were suffering in this life for the cause of Christ. Because ultimately, we are invincible. And the very last line, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Beloved, I don't think those are tears of remorse over sin. There's another place for that. I think these are the tears that are shed because of the suffering they have gone through, the agony that they have felt, the prayers that they have tearfully lifted up. How long, Lord, will it be before you will vindicate us, before you will bring justice to us, till you will rescue your church? And now John looks and he projects and he sees this vast mass of people before the throne of God and their tears are nothing more than a memory because they realize that they were on the winning team all along. And so we with them stand and in the words of Paul, we say, what then can we say about these things? If God is for us, I ask you, who can be against us? He did not even spare his own son, but offered him up for us all. How will he not also with him grant us everything? Who can bring an accusation against God's elect? God is the one who justifies. Who is the one who condemns? Christ Jesus is the one who died, but even more has been raised and also is at the right hand of God and intercedes for us. Who can separate us from the love of Christ? Can affliction or anguish or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword, as it is written, because of you we are being put to death? all day long we are counted as sheep to be slaughtered no in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us for i am persuaded that not even death or life angels or rulers things present or things to come hostile powers height depth any other created thing will have the power to separate us from the love of god that is in christ jesus our lord and all of heaven that is leaning over listening to this service right now joins us as they say amen and amen you are invincible in Christ. Let's thank him for it, shall we? Father, we love you. We don't even know 